Some rides can end in death. Others start there. Welcome to American Esoterica. If history class gives you the peanuts, this is mixing in candy corn. The essential stuff in between. The personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. Some goodbyes last longer than others, but in the case of Abraham Lincoln, his goodbye took three weeks, two of them across a pretty circuitous route, literally. And some say, maybe even longer. The funeral journey was nearly 1,700 miles, with stops in hundreds of cities in seven states and full-fledged wakes in 10 or more of those cities. The choice of route was deliberate. It was the exact reverse of the route that brought Lincoln to Washington for his inauguration in 1861, returning Lincoln to his home of Springfield, Illinois. When Abraham Lincoln came to Washington as president-elect on February 22, 1861, he arrived early in the morning at the Baltimore and Ohio Depot, a train station just a block from the Capitol. He traveled incognito to thwart an assassination plot. Just over four years later, on April 21, 1865, a week after the success of another assassination plot, Lincoln's body was brought from the United States Capitol, where it had been lying in state, back to the same station where he had arrived. He was brought to make the return journey through a grieving nation, but he wouldn't be making the trip alone. Aside from the 150 to 300, depending on who you ask, passengers, comprising soldiers, attendants, railroad employees, and oh, a couple embalmers, there was one more body on the train, that of Lincoln's young son, Willie, who had died three years earlier at the age of 11. Edward Stanton, the Secretary of War, had convinced Mary Todd Lincoln that the best route would be the long way around, the same one that had brought him to Washington, and he soon issued orders to commandeer the use of the railroads along the entire route. Lincoln's widow was too distraught to join the journey, giving her husband over to the nation to mourn, and, as someone once said, to Edward Stanton to micromanage in death. The train itself was special. The car carrying the president's casket was built to serve the living man as a comfortable and elegant means of traveling the country after the end of the war. It was named the United States, and as a purpose-built vehicle designed only to convey the president, it was the 1865 equivalent of Air Force One, minus Harrison Ford. Naturally, Lincoln hated it. A brand of the army called the U.S. Military Railroad had begun building it in 1863. Lincoln was aware of its existence, but thought that spending money for a custom-built presidential train car was unnecessary. He kept putting off seeing it until it appeared the war was over. He set up an appointment to finally see the train, and I'm not making this up, for April 15, 1865, the day he succumbed to the fateful gunshot. This man had the world's most portentous date book. April 14th, Create the Secret Service, then hit the theater. April 15th, check out the train car that was custom built to carry me around in style. 
Once everyone was on board the nine-car train, dubbed the Lincoln Special, it began its journey. The whole train was draped in black with a large portrait of him on the front of the locomotive. The journey would pass through hundreds of cities, stopping for official public wakes and a few handfuls where the casket would be taken from the train and brought to a place of honor for those to pay their respects. In New York City, some 160,000 escorted the casket in a parade down Broadway where a young Teddy Roosevelt watched from an upper story window. In Philadelphia, his coffin was placed in the assembly room of Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence was signed, with the Liberty Bell placed at his head. It's said that the crowd of mourners lined up for three miles to pay their respects, and tragically, a young child was killed in the crush of the crowd. Estimates vary, but as many as 30 million people witnessed the journey, many of them up close in cities where the remains were held in state. Now we get to the uncomfortable parts. There was the business of transporting a body in an unrefrigerated train car over the course of a few weeks. It had already been a week since Lincoln had died before the train pulled out from the station, and it would be nearly two weeks before it would reach its final destination. The onboard embalmer had the job of re-embalming and touching up the body between stops. But after the stop in New York, where the body was on display in the open air for 23 hours, things were getting a little dicey. The skin had become noticeably darker by several shades, and the lower jaw had fallen slightly open, showing teeth in an eerie grin. The embalmers did their best, but lots of open casket sessions in open air, coupled with a bumpy train ride, spoiled the illusion that the mourners were viewing a great man in repose. The last few stops were definitely greeted with the visage of death. Planners hurriedly moved up the end of the journey by a few days, lest it end in a far more gruesome manner. On May 4th, the train finally reached its end, and Lincoln and Son were interred in Oak Ridge Cemetery. Ever the trendsetter, the event of Lincoln's funeral train led to several lasting cultural phenomena. For instance, embalming was still a relatively new practice in America, and the embalmers aboard the train were known to Lincoln, having embalmed the son who accompanied him on the journey. But this wasn't just a professional courtesy. They were very publicly visible, assuring the press and the public that their methods would keep Lincoln well-preserved. That kind of press created a revolution, and the demand for embalming in its wake led to it becoming a standard practice in wide use today. Another beneficiary of the good press was George Pullman, who was struggling to sell railroads on the use of one of his new sleeper cars that he'd perfected in a handful of years before. All it took was the government choosing to use one of his models for overnight periods along the funeral train's journey and he would go on to great success with the Pullman Palace Car Company, founded in 1867. If that name sounds familiar, it's because the man who would succeed George Pullman as head of the company upon his death was none other than, say it with me, Robert Todd Lincoln. But the lasting cultural implications aside, there's something else that lives on. Ghostly sightings of the funeral train. For years afterward, line workers who walked the rails at night would report seeing the train go past with pale yellow lights. 
the apparition would appear as an outline of the train, fully detailed but mist-like, as if it could be walked through. Some say they can see a crew of skeletons, some wearing the blue uniforms of the guards. Others who have seen it say that clocks mysteriously become six minutes late. It is said to appear in Albany, New York on the anniversary of its passing, but rolling over the path where the railway once stood, but no longer does. And as it passes, those who have seen it say you can still hear the shriek of its whistle and clang of its bell. It's eerie enough to think of the two-week train journey of the corpse of a beloved president, but it's even more macabre to think of that ride going on forever. <laughs> This has been American Esoterica. All sounds were made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Just want to tell me your favorite Halloween candy? Drop me a note. The address is yell at AmericanEsoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America. America.